Hello friends, welcome to the podcast. I hope your day is treating you well. I am spending this quarter writing my book, which means that we are posting a few of my personal favorite episodes from the last year. This episode originally aired earlier this year, but I'm wondering if you got a chance to listen to it. If you're interested in the book, you can be one of the first people to know when it goes live by signing up for our newsletter list at clubenneagram.com. For now, thanks for being here and let's get into the episode. I am Sarah Jane Case and this is Enneagram and Coffee. Hello everyone and happy Monday. I hope your weekend treated you beautifully. Today we're going to talk about the Enneagram and compassion, but first today's rose, bud, and thorn. So my rose today is that it is currently, as I'm recording this, a rainy day, but it's still warm enough for me to have my office doors open. And I just think that's so beautiful. It's just such a nice thing to have like the pitter patter of rain falling and um, yeah, and still feel like I'm a little bit outside, but I'm actually cozily indoors. My thorn for today is that there are just so many tiny detail activities that I need to be doing, right? Like we are switching bank accounts. We are dealing with taxes. Even just like getting the COVID vaccine is so intense. You just have to like get on the wait list. And then I'm checking the Walgreens website like every day. My type seven brain, like this is hell (laughs) for me. Um, just having so many of these little things. I feel like I have all these medical bills from last year that I'm trying to wrestle around and figure out where they are. And this is just not my happy place. And I'm, I'm ready for a break. It's taking more energy for me to be alive than it should right now, if that makes sense. But my bud is that I'm trying out a new work schedule this week. This is something I wanted to do last week, but I ended up having kind of a sick week, so I wasn't really able to do it effectively. But as you know, I'm working on a new book, and I have had a hard time integrating when do I write and when do I work, because those are just two completely different brains for me. Um, I... And I do so much writing for work. You know, I'm, I write these podcasts every day. I'm writing for YouTube. I'm writing for Instagram. So that part of my brain is already being used a lot. And so then adding on when do I write more on top of that has just been a little bit tricky. But I'm going to try this week where I, I kind of put all of my writing work in the morning and all of my other work in the afternoon. And I cannot wait to see how that feels on my system. I have a feeling it's going to be really inspiring and connective. I will keep you updated. Um, I also wanted to remind you while we're chatting that Morgan Harper Nichols went live on Friday, our interview together. If you are a type five or you love a type five or you are dealing with any kind of neurodiversity, this episode was so good. I don't want you to miss it. So you have my permission to listen to that first if you want and need, if you have a little bit of extra time. Otherwise, please go check it out. She was just an amazing interview, an amazing conversation, and worth the time to listen, I promise. All right, so now let's dive into today's topic. 
If you were to ask me why we study the Enneagram, the first and easiest answer for me would be empathy, right? Understanding our shared humanity, giving each other a break for just being who we are. However, I want to take this a little bit further from empathy into compassion. I want to break down five simple ways the Enneagram increases our compassion for one another. We'll go through this today, and then tomorrow I will share a few very practical action steps towards increasing our compassion. And at the risk of sounding like my 12th grade English paper, Merriam-Webster defines compassion as sympathetic consciousness of others' distress together with a desire to alleviate it. I think this is an important definition because it offers us distinction from empathy. Right, Empathy is defined as understanding, being aware of, being sensitive to, and vicariously experiencing the feelings, thoughts, and experience of another, of either the past or present without having the feelings, thoughts, and experience fully communicated in an objectively explicit manner. Basically, we see someone feeling something and we feel it too. This is an important thing that we we talk about because I think all of us, when we read the Enneagram descriptions, can more easily access empathy for the people in our life. Like that's just one of the first things that can happen. All of a sudden, we understand why they do what they do, and maybe we can even feel for them like we would feel for ourselves. However, I think it's important that we acknowledge that compassion and empathy are different. I want to take us a step further into compassion where we take that feeling and that understanding and turn it into a desire for action. This is where we take our knowledge of other people and turn it into real life support for them. So it's one thing to say, I feel for you and move on with our day. And it's another thing entirely to say, I feel for you to the point that I want to do something about it. And we see this all the time with social justice movements, right? We put up our black square to say, I feel for you, but that's not the same as putting up a black square and then changing your behavior, doing something about it, right? So let's get into how the Enneagram can support you in the process of increasing your compassion for the people in your life. So the first way is the Enneagram shows us the standard that they're holding themselves to, right? So now all of a sudden we're told hey, this person in your life who you thought was just judgmental is actually holding themselves to such a high standard that of what what it means to be a good person, what it means to do things well, that they are assuming everyone else is doing the same. And therefore it's, they're exhausted and it feels almost offensive when they're overworking and they see other people relaxing. Like if they could relax, they would, but they feel like there's so much work to be done, right? So once we're able to understand the people in our lives are holding themselves to these very specific standards of what it means to be a person, what it means to be good, then we can start to really unravel their behavior and understand why they're behaving the way they do. So I, I'll give you my understanding of how each of the types is, is holding themselves to a standard. So type ones are holding them to the, themselves to the standard of doing things perfectly, um, being a really good person, being in, having impeccable ethics. Type twos are holding themselves to the standard of selflessness. Type threes to success and to maturity to success according to the circle that they're surrounded by. So maybe that's material success. Maybe that's physical success. Maybe that is success as an activist. You know, they're holding themselves to the standard of being the best. 
compared to other people. Our type fours are holding themselves to the standard of being special or significant. Our type fives are holding themselves to the standard of being informed. Type six, safe and secure and prepared. Type seven, fun and happy and lighthearted, optimistic. Type eight, strong, powerful, driven, hardworking. Type nines of being easy to get along with, comfortable to bring around, easygoing, right? So we're all holding ourselves to these standards. So when we understand these standards, well, then we're more so able to understand behavior, right? And so once we understand behavior, we can get into some of the more action-oriented things. We know, okay, they're doing this because they think this is the way to be a good person. And so I can better support them by offering other options, by showing them that they are a good person, even when they don't do that. Um, We'll get more into that later in this episode and then tomorrow as well. But the second way is that the Enneagram shows us their childhood wounding. So we can go from, why are you doing this the way that you do to, oh, now I understand why you're doing this the way that you do. What internal thought is motivating that to even deeper, where did you learn that this was the way to be a person, right? So we learn, okay, we learn perfection from our parents, right? We learn that you, there's a standard that you have to live up to at somewhere along our lives. We learned that we should over-sacrifice in order to earn love. We learn that success is the way to earn approval. We learn that there's something wrong with us at a young age. You know, we learn that, we need to be informed in order to be capable. We need, there's always more information to gain. And we learn as, you know, type fives learn that their energy is not renewable, that it gets depleted and it, it might not come back, that resources need to be held onto because the world will invade on them. At some point along the way, or, you know, our sixes learn that the world is unsafe and uncertain place and they're seeking that stability and that certainty. Our sevens learn somewhere along the way that like they have to do things on their own, that they're only going to take care of themselves and that they have to make the most of it, the most of of the bad things that life hands to them. Our eights learn that they could be betrayed, you know, that people are out to do harm and that only the strong survive. Our nines learn that they are, it's better off for everyone if they're invisible, right? So we can take this idea of, okay, you do, I understand what you're doing. I understand why you're doing it. And now I can get into who hurt you, (laughs) you know, where did this come from? What is this messaging here? And this is the work that we all need to do for ourselves as well is really unpack where did I learn that this was necessary and important and the way to get through life? Because once we can kind of unravel that, then we're able to more so heal us, heal at the center, right? And get into how can I better support myself? But if we're thinking of compassion for other people, spoiler alert, next week, we're going to talk about self-compassion. So we'll probably dive into this again, but when we're thinking of compassion for other people, we can all of a sudden take this from you're doing something that's annoying me and move it to, I now understand why you're doing that thing, the conversation you're having with yourself. And then I can kind of get into what happened to cause that. And it's so much easier to want to protect this innocent child who received a message that there was just this one limited option for them in the world and to show that little child, 
actually there's so much more available to you. You're worthy of love with or without these things than it is to show that to the adult who's doing the thing that's annoying you, right? So if we can kind of start to see them in their their innocence and where they originally learned this behavior and this way of being, well, our compassion just grows tenfold, right? My relationship to my period changed forever about five years ago. I used to dread getting my menstrual cycle. I used to feel like I couldn't do the things that I wanted to do in my life because I I was on my period. I feel like I had to constantly be carrying around tampons and pads and like making sure that I knew I could access the bathroom whenever I needed to. But that all changed when I started using a menstrual cup. I was able to go an entire day without even thinking about my period at all. If you want period product that looks out for your body, your lifestyle, and the planet, you have got to try Flex. Flex is innovating period care with products that are body safe, made for comfort, and made to keep you moving. There's the Flex Disc, which is a one-time use menstrual disc that fits perfectly inside your body. One Flex Disc can be worn for up to 12 hours and holds as much flow as three super tampons. It's not a cup and it's better than a tampon. It's unlike any other period product you have seen before. It's basically a round disc with a kind of a soft plastic inside and it's really flexible. It basically folds down to nothing. Really, it's much, much thinner than a tampon is when you fold it down and it fits really easily. You have to change it much less often. And plus you can wear it for mess-free period sex. I'm just saying, your sheets will thank you. Plus y'all, when I was dating and I was on my period, the idea of having to change a tampon at someone's house, no, I, I'm so glad. One, I'm glad I don't have to do that because I'm married now, but like also I'm glad I never have to do that again. I wish that I had known. I wish I had known. Flexdisc also creates 60% less waste compared to pads and tampons. So yes, you can consider using Flex your environmental good deed. And if you want to go zero waste and have the planet love you even more, pick up the Flex Cup, a reusable menstrual cup that Cosmo rated number one. The patented pull tab makes Flex the only cup on the market that removes like a tampon. It's so easy. You already know how to use it. Like you've been doing this. It's disability friendly and made with beginners in mind. It's velvety soft, completely body safe, and lasts for years. The cup, this is my holy grail. This is the one I go for. I love it so much. It changed my relationship to my period. I cannot tell you this enough. You can change in the shower. You can change right when you're, you know, on the, you know, going to the bathroom, whatever you need to do. But it is the easiest thing that I have ever done. I never have to think about my period anymore. With helpful videos, in-depth diagrams, gifts, and flexperts available to walk you through the entire process, you will never go back to products from the past once you try Flex. I would be shocked if you did. So say goodbye to cramps, put sex back on the table, and lend Mother Nature a hand. Go to flexfits.com egram and use code egram for 20% off Flex Disc Starter Kits or 10% off your first Flex Cup my personal preference, plus free U.S. shipping. That's code egram at flex, F-L-E-X, bits.com slash egram. Thank you, Flex, for supporting the podcast. Number three is the Enneagram shows us how to show love in ways that will be received. We talk about this in the 
the first week of this month where we talk about kindness and how each of the different centers kind of give and receive love based off of the work of Peter O'Hanrahan. So we can use this information to show love in specific ways, exhibit the compassion to the audience, right? So just to summarize that, I definitely recommend going back and listening to the full episode, but just to kind of summarize, the head types tend to show love through seeing other people in a positive light. Our body types do it through taking action on behalf of other people. And our heart types do that through um, romantic connection. Again, our heart types are two, three, four. Our head types are five, six, seven, and our body types are eight, nine, and one. So we can intentionally show love in the way that we know it will be received. You know, if we're, we're wanting to take this from empathy into compassion, well, that takes turning it into practical love, you know, stopping at, I feel what you're feeling and taking it into, I want you to know that I feel what you're feeling. I want you to feel loved in this moment and seen in this moment. All right. The next piece is the Enneagram shows us where we are closing off our compassion. Where are we blocking compassion in our lives? You know, our, our type ones can block compassion when they feel like other people aren't trying to do things well. Our twos can block compassion when they feel like someone's being selfish or if they, they can block compassion, you know, ones can block compassion when they're overworking and they don't have time to slow down and to give compassion our twos can do the same thing when they're burning out helping other people and they're over giving. Well, then all of a sudden that resentment comes up and they're like, I don't have time to feel compassion for you because I'm tired. I'm overworked. You're taking me for granted. You know, that all of those thoughts come up. Our type threes, they can close off compassion when they're like just here to get the goal, get to the goal, focus on the goalpost and ignore the, ignore the shrapnel on the other sides. Um, our fours can close compassion when they feel unheard. You know, if you're if you're noticing that your compassion is closing off, maybe there's a, a situation in which you feel like no one's listening to you or you're not being seen. So how can you see yourself and listen to yourself so that you can offer more compassion? Our fives can close compassion when it starts to feel illogical or um if we start to feel like someone's invading in our space or taking our energy or taking us taking more energy than we want to be giving. Our sixes can lose compassion when they feel like they can't trust that person or they don't know why they, they don't, they haven't decided if they can trust that person or not. Our sevens can lose compassion if they feel like they, that person needs too much from them. Our eights can lose compassion if they sense too much weakness, if they feel like the person's not being strong enough, notice this in yourself, pay attention to the fact that, um, you know, our compassion doors close and it's our job to keep them open. Our nines can lose compassion if they feel like someone's being judgmental and um, critical of other people. We can close that off, right? So it's we can recognize what are the triggers for me to close my compassion and how can I self-soothe, ask for what I need from other people, and then open those compassion doors back up. And finally, the fifth way, the Enneagram shows us how to support people without feeding the over-functioning of their coping mechanisms. Essentially, the Enneagram, this personality that we've put on, is simply how we've learned to cope in the world. It's how we learned to earn love and safety and acceptance in the world. It's how we built our, ourselves to survive, right? It's how we cope. So when we give compliments or we love someone, especially when they're showing up, 
in those patterns, we're reinforcing the idea that that is exactly who they have to be. So if we want to really support people in our lives who are, um, and we're aware of their Enneagram type, we can actually show them more compassion by loving them in the moments when they're not showing up to the standard that they're holding themselves to, right? So for example, if I say to a type nine, oh, you're so easy to get along with, well, then that reinforces the idea that their opinions here aren't wanted or welcome because what I like about them is the fact that they're easy to be around. But if instead I can say, hey, type nine friend, I would really love to know your opinion about this. I have like no judgment. I I just want to hear what you, what you think, because I think you have a lot to say. And that's, that's true for all of us, right? I can't say to type ones, like, I love how thorough you are without reinforcing the idea that thoroughness is what makes them accepted in our dynamic. And the same thing, our twos, you know, how loving and how helpful they are. Type threes, how successful they are. Type fours, how much potential they have to be significant. That's adding, that's just compounding pressure, And for our type fives, you know, you're so logical, you're so informed, you're so um, unemotional. That's showing like, I like that you don't bring these things to the table. I like that you're not giving me all of yourself. Type sixes, you know, I, how prepared you are. You always, you always think things through. You're always thinking about the next best thing, you know, and sevens, I love how happy you are. You're always so fun. Type eights, you're, I'm so glad you came in and you took charge. Having a leader is so important. Type, you know, when we do this, there's nothing wrong with that. These are good things, but make sure we're giving the compliments of the other side of it. You know, we're feeding the part of them that isn't always doing that, you know, encouraging, like, I love your opinions, type nine. Oh, I, I loved that you gave yourself a break on that type one. I'm, I hope you're being easy on yourself. Type two, I love that you did that. You took that time for yourself. I really respect and admire that. Um, type threes, I love when you share the things that aren't working for you in your life. I think there's something really beautiful about that. Type fours, man, it's so cool when you do these like average everyday things that you have to do to get to where you need to go. I'm really impressed by that. I respect that, you know, showing the other side of of the things that we typically say to reinforce the mechanisms that they're using because there's nothing wrong with coping, right? We all have to cope. Imagine a lot of us are coping more than usual right now. However, you do, when we overcope and we're over-functioning, it tends to not serve us in our lives. And it's so healing to hear that people love you even when you aren't showing up as you think you have to. You know, as a type seven, someone saying like, hey, I'm loving you come here and when you're just like feeling like crap and you come and you're just having a bad day and you're honest about it. I love being around you. That is so helpful for me in my in terms of my personal growth journey. There, we get into this like whole conversation about this when I in my interview with Annie Downs, um, and that is happening on Friday. So, if you like this conversation and you want more of it, definitely check out that episode coming out on Friday of the week that this episode goes live. So, that's just a touch on five ways that the Enneagram can increase our compassion. And again, I want to take this conversation with uh, empathy versus compassion 
a little bit further with you. You know, when we think about empathy, I can feel empathy without feeling compassion, right? I can feel your feelings. I can feel your sadness and I can take that and get irritated with you or frustrated with you or push you away because it's overwhelming for me, right? I can feel your feelings and not be kind. I can feel your feelings and find that to be bothersome. Or I can feel those feelings, empathize with you, and then turn that into compassion. Choose to take um, action and to feel for you in a sympathetic way, right? So I think that's where I want to say like, yes, the Enneagram will innately give you empathy. You will be like, oh, I get it. I get where you're coming from. I feel for you. But it's not going to automatically create compassion. That is a practice that we participate in on a regular basis. All right. Come talk to me on Instagram. I want to know how has the Enneagram increased the compassion that you have for the people in your life. And then don't forget to come back tomorrow as we dive deeper into this conversation with practical tips for increasing our compassion. And as always, if you enjoyed today's episode and want to give back, the easiest and freest way to do that is to take three minutes and leave a five-star rating on iTunes. It's incredibly helpful when you take the time to do that because it tells iTunes that other people may be interested in what we're doing over here too. So thank you guys so much. And those of you who have already taken the time to leave a review, it means the world to me. I see you. I love you. I appreciate you. And I will see all of you tomorrow for the next episode.